Welcome to another message in God's wonderful Word. Here at the Hillsdale Bible Church, we aim to learn God's way, that we might live God's way. May the words you hear today draw you closer to Him. Open your Bibles and your heart as we learn together in this message. Why? We can start a list, can't we? 
we could we can list all kinds of reasons why he has done this. But this is the word that he wanted us to see as to why. Um, in Bible study class, I learned the importance of observing repetition. In a passage, if, if something is stated twice, uh, I ought to pay close attention to that. I've been taught to do so. I knew that principle anyway. So do you. Growing up, when you were called by your parents, and they called you by your name, you knew that was important. When they used your middle name, you knew that was very important, right? It was time to take action. Well, here the Lord says the same thing three times. Now, how did that rate on our scale of importance? Three times. I hope it is something we mark as very important. And what I mean when I said the Lord says three times, I want you to understand something because it just passed by me without even thinking about this. When I read God's word, I just said, well, the Lord said this. And you said, but the Apostle Paul wrote this. And, and um, when I say the Lord said, he had used the Apostle Paul to record it for us. But it is the Lord who has been teaching us. I was uh, made aware of that. Really, this past week, uh, uh, there was a discovery. I was uh, in a conversation with someone, and they were reading from uh, Peter's second epistle. And as they were reading through the epistle, they read these words, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things that are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of Scripture, to their own destruction. And it dawned on them. They said, you mean Paul's writing is scripture? That's what the verse just said. Now, for some of us, we grew up thinking that way, right? But for some reason, and I think it's kind of interesting, we can view the Old Testament, well, that's the scripture, that's the Old Testament. We can put the Gospels in there and say, that's the scripture, that's the Gospels. It talks about Jesus. And then, Maybe we come to a conclusion that, well, all these letters on the end are just tacked on there. They're written by Peter and Paul and John, but they're really good pieces of advice for the church, right? They just kind of come along with the rest of it. And then suddenly realize that Paul's epistles are equated with Scripture, because they are Scripture. Now, we would say, of course they are. They're all bound in one little book, right? We see them all there together. But... This is a compilation of human authors who have written out these messages that the Lord has given to them. They were led by the Holy Spirit. And there are several passages, Peter says this as well, in 1 Peter 1.12. These things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. He also did this in his second epistle where he says in chapter 1, verse 20, but know first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, 
what's the whole point of our little dialogue right now? Ephesians 1, we read through it. It's a word from our God. He is talking to us. This is his message. He's speaking. And he says something three times. Is it important? Absolutely so. This isn't just tack on to everything else we're looking at. This is exceedingly important. He says three times the same phrase. Back up to verse number six, where it starts, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse number 12, to the end that we were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. Jump down to verse 14. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. What has he said three times? To the praise of his glory. Three times. To the praise of his glory. That phrase is going to get our attention this morning. To the praise of his glory. Now, each time we see it here, it's constructed exactly the same way. We're going to look at this toward the end of our, our message here this morning, but there's a little preposition there. In Greek, it's the word ice that means into. The same word is used for praise in all three instances, and the same word for glory is used in all three instances. They are carbon, carbon copies of each other. To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, except in verse number 6 it also added uh, the glory of his grace. All right? But all three are identical phrases in that regard, and God is saying it three times. It should get our attention, and we're going to give it that. Um, I was somewhat surprised, though. As I was working through verse number 12, I thought, reading verse number 12, that last phrase should stand right out on the page, right? It should be the prominent part of that verse. And, and so as I started to work my way into all the uh, technical and grammatical type of commentaries I like to look at, I was amazed at how quickly the comments diverted away from these very words in order to address some complicated theological phrase or so around it. I was really, really amazed to see that. Several commentaries that I would research followed the same pattern. They, they were advanced in the languages and such, but they were more wrapped up in the little intricate words before and after, and they missed, in my opinion, the main thing. You know, we can do that easily, can't we? Get so involved in this detail or that detail that we, we missed out what was being said. I could only imagine in a similar picture, the Old Testament, when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. It was quite an a, a incredible parade, I picture it as, as he's bringing the, covenant, uh, the Ark of the Covenant into the city. And David was just so full of praise before God that it records in Scripture that he was dancing and leaping and blessing God uh, and the people of the city. It was like this grand parade, and David was uh, the marshal out in front, having a great time. And in the same story, we have his wife, Michael, 
standing up in the window watching him. And it says that she despised him with all her heart. That's pretty strong words. Despised him with all her heart. And she criticized him when she came into her presence for his behavior. Missing the entire scene of the glory and the praise that belongs to God. You see, we can easily fall into the same kind of thing. We can't. There are those who can, who can look and see the beauty of a glorious nature scene. Some who would stand outside this morning and smell that rain. Ah, and they would love that. And others would say, I'm going to get wet. Alright? Those, those who, who can inhale the fragrance of a rose. Those who can uh, feel the cool spray of an ocean wave on their face. Uh, they can hear the sound of a dove in the morning. And just relish that moment. And then there are those who see the same scene. And they see the thorns and the roses. And they think that the uh, ocean smells fishy. And they're worried about cutting their grass. And the dove is sitting over my newly cleaned car. How often are we like that? We see certain things when in front of us is a glorious thing. And I don't want to be one distracted this morning in this phrase. I don't want to be distracted by it. Uh, this is like a grand crescendo coming. A response, if you will, to the wonderful, magnificent things God has been doing for us. It, it comes with a... a uh, a need to say something. A need to praise Him for what He has done. I, I look at the Psalms in, in kind of an interesting way at times, but the, there's several writers in the book of Psalms, and many of us will go to the book of Psalms, uh, especially if we're wrestling with something or our hearts are heavy and we, we need to uplift it a bit. And, and we find that the, the writers of that book were in situations like ours, and even worse. But they would struggle with things and work their way through and call on the name of the Lord for help. They had storms, you know, that would arise. And yet most of those psalms, they wanted to start, it appears, I want to just praise the Lord. I just want to give praise to the Lord. And then all these distractions set in, which are part of their psalm, but enemies are all sudden on their heels and the floodwaters are rising up to their necks. And, and they spend the majority of the psalm saying, help, right? They're calling out for the Lord to rescue them and call on His help. And, and yet, as you follow through, most of the Psalms kind of lead this way until you get to the last few. Finally, it's as if the psalmists are, are breaking through with the praise that they want to give. They want to give a whole chapter, just praise Him. And I found it. It's in Psalm 145. Let's just go over there for a little bit and watch the words as I read it to you. It's a short little psalm. He doesn't have any barriers here. He's able to express his heart as he wants to do it. And this is David writing. Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God, my O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and 
ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of it, of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness, and they will shout joyfully of your righteousness. See, the Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and great in loving kindness, and the Lord is good to all. And His mercies are over all His works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. And the Lord sustains all who fall and raiseth up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways, and kind in all His deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear the cry, and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love Him. But all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. All flesh will bless His name. His holy name forever and ever. Don't you just love that song? No distractions, just praise to the Lord, praise to the Lord, praise to the Lord, all the way through. It's almost like he, he needed more verses. He was just getting wound up with his praise to all that God had done for him. I think it's pretty exciting to see that. As you toward, hit toward the end of this book, it just keeps resounding that phrase, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord as if they just can't say it enough. Praise the Lord. Now, when we're here in Ephesians, Paul reaches that place. I don't want to get bogged down, like I said, in all the little participles and all the other things that are easy to get bogged down in. And I, I as one who likes to study the languages, love to do that. But I won't do that today. Because we want to see what God says about praising Him. We want to look and understand verse number 12 so that our lips can repeat the same thing. Praise the glory. Praise to His glory. Three times we're drawn to the fact that God has done all this to the praise of His glory. Three times. It's like a, a grand chorus. You have a verse, and then you come to the chorus. You have another verse, and you come to the chorus. You have a third verse, and it comes back to the same chorus, to the praise of His glory. To make a song out of this. In verse 1 through 6, let's look at our first verse. Somewhat of a review, but once again, we see the great work that God has done in the past. What God has done for us in the past, before the earth was even set on its foundation before we were alive to manipulate or to convince or to beg or plead that he would do this for us. He had already done it. He had commissioned his blessings to fall on us. 
Every blessing is aimed at our direction. And along with those things, He chose us. Remember in verse 4? He chose us. He chose us to be holy, right? He chose us to be blameless, right? And even He chose us to be before Him. What an incredible thing that is. To even stand before Him as holy and blameless. Amazing. But He has chose us, and He loves us. And the Scripture says that at the end of verse number 4. He loves us. He predestined us to adoption as sons. He loved us according to the kind intention of His will. And what's the conclusion of all that? Verse 6. To the praise of His glory. Right? To the praise of His glory. Take all that God has ever done for you. Go ahead, try to make a list of it. And when you start to compile this list, take it before His throne and pile it up before Him in thankful prayers. Look what He has done. Look what He has done. Look what He has done. And with your own lips say, praise God. Praise God. For what He's done in our past, all that He's freely bestowed upon us, He designed it so. That's what we've learned, right? He has designed it so. He has designed that we would be brought into this relationship with Him that manifests in our life and in our words. That ought to change us. Change us forever. Paul was writing to the Corinthians. They, they had a lot of problems. But his word to them came down to a simple phrase, pretty much. Whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. The book of Mark, Jesus quoted this from the Old Testament. And when they're trying to figure out, what are we to do? What are we to do? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. How much time is that going to take of your day? You like the word all? Sounds like it's appropriate right there, right? All. Is that really too much to ask in light of all the blessings that He has piled on us in the past? That we should respond to Him by living our life to His glory in every single facet that our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strength are in tune to giving Him praise? Isn't that the right response? It is. It is. But that's not all of it. That's only stanza one. In Ephesians 1. Now it's easy to forget the past. I know the psalmist even said it this uh, way. That we should not forget his benefits. We should not forget his benefits. And so what we enjoy in the present is worthy of his praise too. Isn't it? What he has done for us right now. That's expressed here in Ephesians as well. From verse 7 through 12. That stands at 2. Recall this thing. How has he forgiven you? Now, doesn't that just sound sweet, that word forgiven? Oh, it's such a pleasure. 
wonderful term. He has forgiven us. Who among us doesn't need forgiveness? He has forgiven us. The other day I got a phone call. My little grandson, Nathaniel's in the Awana Clubs. He's a first year cubby. Uh, that's pretty exciting. I got a picture of him in his little vest and everything. But uh, uh, he was learning a verse. Very first verse along the way. For all have sinned. He was asked if that included everybody. Does mommy sin? Does daddy sin? And then the phone rings. Does grandpa sin? And I'm a pastor. I've got to tell the truth, right? Of course, I said. I wrote for the Cubs. That's what I said. That's terrible. I know. There's one, another one. Add to it. But uh, is anyone omitted from the need for forgiveness? What a sweet thing he's done for us. Uh, He has forgiven us. And it says so, right? In verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What does redemption mean to you? What does it mean to you? That you were taken, as we say poetically, out of the miry clay and your feet are set on the solid rock. What does that mean to you? That you were once in the domain of darkness and He's put you into the kingdom of His light. Your chains fall off. Your heart set free. You rose, went forth, and followed thee. We've sung the words. What's it mean to be redeemed? What's it mean to be forgiven? To be out of prison from sin and captivity? How can sins even linger under the blood of Jesus? It says that His grace has been lavished on us, right? We read these words. We have Forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us, verse 8 says. Poured out the full measure of grace upon us. How does it settle in your heart? In your mind that He's told you all this. (laughs) He didn't leave this a secret, did He? He made known to us these things. And the mystery of His will. He made known to us. We're not guessing. As some go about guessing today. There are some theologies based on guessing. Oh, I hope so. Is the main three words of their whole system. I hope so. And they live in constant concern as to whether or not it's ever going to work out in the end. They say, I hope so. And some people hope that they will balance out when they stand before the Lord. Good things will outweigh bad things. Or I said the right things. Or I went to the right church. Or I believe the right pastor. Or, you know, that whole list is out there for those who are living just on the edge of maybe. But we're not sure. Folks in Ephesians 1, we're sure. Do you see it? We're sure. He has made it known to us. We're not sitting here saying, am I forgiven? Am I not forgiven? I don't know if I'm forgiven. He says, you are forgiven. I told you so. He has made known to us. I love those words. He made known to us the mystery of His will. He's telling us what He has done 
so that you can walk in knowledge of his will. This he kindly purposed in Christ Jesus for us, that we might know it. Now, I think it's an amazing thing, though, that we who were his enemies should be included in the grand finale of all he plans to do. And yet that's also what we have to look forward to. The view, verse 10, to the administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. When all these things are brought together, when they're all realized as orchestrated by God, carefully constructed by Him, in every single detail, that they find their meaning in Christ alone. In Jesus, it will all be summed up. In Him, it will perfectly make sense. And you, and I, and our lives, and our whole picture, are part of this. Isn't that incredible? That we should be included in all that He has planned. We possess a lasting inheritance that's secured in heaven for us. Now what do you do with those facts, folks? Verse 12 tells you. It brings it back to the chorus again, doesn't it? And what does it say? To the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. I know, I know this, you know this as well. There are times when it gets a little cloudy. We kind of lose sight of these facts. Even this day is a day given to us by God. Even this day has been created by Him. And the psalmist tells us, and we will rejoice in it. Right? This is the day that the Lord has made. So we need to make it clear in our hearts and in our minds that God's purpose for this day and every day, when they're all summed up together, is to the praise of His glory. Everyone, right? Except Mondays. No, including Mondays. All these days work together. Every ingredient of them. I just love thinking of the pieces and parts. They're the praise that lift up before His name. When you rise up, the psalmist says, when you sit down, when you speak, and when you go about, be mindful of this, that He is mindful of you. And all these things are for His glory. For His glory. That's stanza two. Stanza three We're just starting to enter into the next couple of verses. When we get there, in verse 13 and 14, it says, In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Stanza 3. Stanza 3. Here the Lord applies what I like to call the final coat. (laughs) The final coat to seal it all in. 
not that there's any danger of us losing all these other things. They're all bestowed by him. The blessings are given. They're already set in his will. There's no danger of them drifting away or fading away or somehow we've messed up and we've lost them. There's no danger of that. But there's something really sweet about the way the Lord intends to secure that in our hearts and show it as a permanent thing. He gives us the Holy Spirit to convince us and to assure us of his promises. In John, when John is writing his epistles, he mentions the Holy Spirit quite a bit. You spend a little time in 1 John, you're fine. Reference after reference after reference to the Holy Spirit. And as he does that, he he comes to this conclusion often about the assurance we have because of the Spirit. And the the confidence we have because of the Spirit. And he says in 1 John 3.24, The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and He convinces us of that. We know because He indwells us. I suppose the promises of God are sufficient for you, aren't they? You're sure that if God has made you a promise, He's going to keep it, aren't you? You're you're confident of that very thing. But what an added blessing it is that He should give us the Holy Spirit a promise on top of it, just to seal that all up. He seals up the gospel message. He seals up the truth that's been given. He seals up our salvation. He seals up our inheritance. He seals up the redemption. To God's own possession you belong. He seals that up by the Holy Spirit. What a gift we've been given. The Spirit's activity in our lives. Here's the way I like to picture it. As I was thinking this through, and I've talked about this a couple times before, I know. But I just like the picture. When the Lord is speaking about his sheep in John chapter 10, he says in a simple, really sweet verse, verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. This morning I was reading in Psalm 31, and David brought that kind of a phrase up twice, where he says, in a very familiar verse, he says, into your hand I commit my spirit. Who said that? Jesus said that at the cross, right? But David said that way back then when he was still alive. David writes it, into your hand I commit my spirit. Have you done that? Have you committed your spirit into the hand of the Lord? Do you live like that? Into your hand I commit my spirit. Because David later in that psalm will also say, and my times are in your hand. (laughs) And I just never noticed the reference to the hand so often in that little psalm. Psalm 31. The, the Lord won't hand me over to the enemies on the land. The Lord's using his hand to protect me. But here he's speaking of, look, your hand, it holds my spirit. And it holds my time. I just trust in your hand. And here the 
Jesus is saying, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I like that phrase. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I saw also in another psalm that the Lord holds us by his hand. I like that phrase. He holds us by his hand. Now, you can argue all you want against my secure position in the Lord's hand, but you can never snatch me out of it. That's what the Lord says. You can't get wrestled out of that hand. He holds. And then, to add to that, he adds in the next phrase, that his father, his father is involved in this. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And I like to put those two together. We're here in the Lord's hand, and then we're here in the father's hand. Now, how secure are you now? You've got the, the combination, the combination of the Father and the Son, divinely supreme, holding you. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now, if that's not enough for you, you still say, but hey, there might be a little small crack we could fall out of. I'm not sure, but just to be sure... What else? The Holy Spirit comes along, and it's almost like he places his hands over top of theirs. He seals us in him. Isn't that a neat thought? Sealed. Guaranteed forever of the great things that God has done for us. I don't know how Paul wrote this passage in Ephesians without busting out with praise, because he had to mention it several times, right? To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Third time through, to the praise of his glory. Look what he has done. That's your past. That's your present, and that's your future. All under his care. All to the praise of his glory. Every ounce, every bit, all to the praise of of his glory. Now I told you as we started, I'd break you back down to this verse 12. i just show you the three little pieces that are in it. Not to distract you, but to show you what we've just seen. This is the way he's constructed these phrases. It's consistent and it shows right here. He uses the same preposition, into. He uses the same word for praise and the same room for glory. So, as to his glory, we'll start at the back and work forward just for a minute. We speak of his fame. We speak of his honor. We speak of his name. We speak of his reputation. We speak of his worship. We speak of his majesty. To the praise of all that, we are to give him praise. Of all that he is. Now, the word glory is technically the word for opinion. Believe it or not, that's what it is. It's a word for opinion. I'm just wondering, what's your opinion of him? What's your opinion of him? That's this word. To the praise of his glory. Do you find him worthy of glory? After reading all this, is he worthy of our praise? Psalm 107, verse 2. Favorite little section. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let him say so. As to his praise, as to his praise, 
Aineo is our little Greek word, Aineo. Now that's not enough. The Greek writer, he, Paul, as he's putting down this word, says, no, that's not a word that's going to satisfy. I'm going to put the little preposition epi in front of it. That always intensifies. It's kind of like doubling it. It's kind of like strengthening it, uh, uh, intensifying it. You've got to heighten that expression. Yes, we're to praise Him, but we've got to praise Him a lot more than our little feeble word can say. The angels love the concept of glory to God in the highest, right? In the highest. The wise men, you remember those folks? When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. That's technically translated, they jumped for joy. That's not in our flannel graph. We don't have these bouncing wise men. But that's a, that's a picture of the word. They just can't contain themselves because they saw the star. And I noticed something last week as, as Phil was sharing with us the, the resurrection story of Matthew 28. It said in verse number 8, When the ladies had come and they heard that Jesus was alive and was told to go and tell the disciples, they came, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. I hadn't even paid attention to that little phrase. I'm so wrapped up in the, hey, they're going. They ran to report to the disciples, but they came out of there with great joy. That's the same word. They were jumping for joy. They were so excited. Just like the wise men. Now these ladies ran with that kind of an emotion. I bet they never touched the earth. If only somebody had clocked them, they would have set a world record, no doubt. They jumped for joy as they ran. We hear all these great truths of what God has done for us. How can we remain silent, folks? How can we, we strain to keep even the little peep of praise falling from our lips? When we read of these words, the Pharisees once tried that on Jesus and his followers. They said, why don't you quiet down those children out there? Keep them from saying anything. You know, they were praising him as he went by. And he said, well, if I did, the rocks would cry out. You want to be outdone by a rock? The rocks benefit nothing. And still they praise him. The trees clap their hands and they don't benefit. They still praise him. And a believer ties up his tongue when he ought to be praising the Lord. When he ought to be praising the Lord. That's the word praise. As to the little preposition to. It's the word ice. It means into. There's a sense of direction that comes with this little phrase. It's the idea of going into something. All right? You're outside, you're going into something. Into this praise. Into the praise of His glory is the way this phrase can be said. When I was young, we played hide and seek a lot in our basement of our house. Big basement, lots of things. It was a great place to play hide and seek. And, and uh, there were so many wonderful hiding places. Um, I won't tell you them all because if we go over and play again, I don't want to be caught easily. But I had some wonderful hiding places. Uh, one, my favorite one, was in the fold-away bed. You know that one with a mattress and a... Oh, that... I could crawl inside there. 
It was hard to breathe. Right? But it was wonderful. I was never found inside there because you couldn't notice that from the outside that somebody was inside those springs because they always looked stretched anyway. But I would hide in that place and, and the only way in was to crawl in. You crawl in the side and you hide inside the mattress. Now, that's a little phrase that came to my mind when I saw this preposition. God's phrase is something we have to crawl into. We have to crawl into that. You know, everyone in heaven is going to be involved in this. You read the book of Revelation, you'll see that the angels of God are there constantly shouting out the holiness of our God. The living creatures are up there, and they're constantly falling down before Him in praise. The Old Testament saints are there, and they're giving the praise to their Jehovah for all eternity. The tribulational saints are going to show up, and they're going to join in and praise the one who's brought them out of the tribulation. The millennial saints are going to show up as well, and they've got a chorus to the great king of the earth and universe. And then there's you and me. And what's our contribution to that? What are we going to, to do in our part? Are we going to crawl into it with them? And give him the praise? Shall our voices join theirs? Uh, shall we raise up that mighty sound that the book of Revelation talks about? A sound this world has never heard. It says in Revelation, these are some of the last words of the entire scripture. It says in Revelation, there will be a sound like a great multitude in heaven, the sound of many waters, the sound of mighty peals of thunder. And when you look at that sound, you're going to see it's from the voices of the servants of God. And they're saying, Hallelujah! The Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns to the praise of His glory. Going to be there? Going to be a part of that? So what stops us now from giving Him the praise? What stops us now when we read these words to the praise of His glory? Why do we stop our tongues? Is it because we're afraid what other people might think? That this world would think that we've lost something upstairs when we actually have everything upstairs? This world is confused, but they need to see our great God, don't they? You know Him. I know Him. Let's open our mouth and praise Him so that they may see how great He is. That's where we should be. We read these words. Remember, these are God's investments in you so that you may serve Him. So that you may serve Him. That's what we're called to do. So let's start with thanking Him here this morning. Heavenly Father, we bow before you with hearts that are just too large. Too large. You have filled them with so many good things that they overflow. I hope it shows on our lips. I hope it shows in our lives. You are such a great God, an awesome God, but a merciful God, a loving God. You've been so good and kind to us. You've been so forgiving toward us and gracious toward us. You have blessed us and blessed us and blessed us and blessed us. And we say thank you, Lord. 
and we praise your name today. To the praise of your glory is the expression of our hearts. And may it not just be a momentary thing, but may it also be the reflection of our actions and the reflection of our words as we go from this place. May we praise the name of our God wherever we go, whatever we do. Lord, you are so great. May your redeemed say so. Draw us to this passage frequently, Lord, and don't let us forget. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.